Yes, it's great to see all of you. Uh, man, you guys are just jammed in. So way to scoot towards the middle and make room for people. And thank you so much for being here this morning. We're going to be in our second week of 2 Corinthians, which is uh, chapter 1, verse 12. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you're more than welcome to turn there. Also, when you came in, you got a program. Uh, if you like paper, you've got paper. If you like digital, it's also on the app. And so, but I do want to let you know that we're going to have to turn in our papers at the end of the day today. Um, we're grading. Uh, it's kind of that point in the semester. Everybody's got to get their grades up. And so uh, make sure you get those done. Uh, no, but if you'd like to take away with you something, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of big key points today that I think we'd all be blessed by um, just really applying, specifically uh, Psalm 139, and we'll get there in just a minute. Um, Before I jump into power and weakness and the paradox that that is, there's some real horsepower behind what we see take place here at Rock Harbor, and it's those who lead and volunteer. And maybe you've heard of the Grammys, the Emmys, the ESPYs. Well, tonight's the Rockies, okay? Tonight's the Rockies, and so we have a uh, volunteer leader appreciation night tonight set for 6 o'clock. I know some of you, uh, if you're volunteering, you've gotten emails and uh, texts and invites to be part of it. We want to take a night to say thank you. Um, honestly, more than just saying thank you, we're just going to have a great time. We're going to have some time of, of vision, excitement. There's going to be stuff that's done tonight that we hope nobody's recording because we don't want it to leave this room or make YouTube because there uh, might be some embarrassing things that you might be able to see uh, by being here. But we are so thankful for those who uh, partner at Rock Harbor through service. And I know many of you, you probably served the last service or you served last week or you're serving at the next service. And so you feel a little bit weird clapping for yourself, but can we just give a round of applause of appreciation for those who lead and serve at Rock Harbor? We, we are thankful for you. It's not one individual. It's not one ministry or one group. In fact, it's a big old blob. It's like an amoeba of volunteering that takes place around this place. And so thank you for being part of that and making it happen to be a multi-generational church that uh, we want to reach our community with the message of Christ. And so um, being in uh, 2 Corinthians, this is actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth that's going through a challenging and difficult uh, time. They found themselves gravitating back towards, you know, worldly and uh, not so good behavior, treating one another poorly. And now they're coming at Paul. And Paul is basically at this point of weakness that the power of Christ is extremely alive in him, which is this paradox. And I saw a definition for the word paradox, and I thought it would help each one of us to kind of hear that. It is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So it's a true contradiction. It's where you, you know, power and then weakness. And when we are weak, then God is strong. And I shared last week quickly, but I want to say it again this week. It's we don't experience the full power of God until we ourselves are at the point of full weakness. So the full power of God comes when we hit that point of full weakness. And, and this is what Paul is sharing. He's like, I'm weak. I have become weak that the power of Christ might be strong. And um, I don't know, is there any lifeguards that might, you have some lifeguard training in the room? I'm not a great swimmer. In fact, I flunked water babies and um, uh, like tadpoles, like multiple times as a child. Um, But then I started to really get the hang of it to the point, I don't know if you've seen the show Baywatch. Um, 
it's inappropriate. You shouldn't have watched it. But I, w- I made a few cameos on it. I did it for the money. But in that, what I learned in part of my training was in order to save someone that might be bigger and stronger than you, they have to reach a point of weakness because of their sheer size or their sheer strength. They may take you down with them. And so if there's someone who's struggling, if someone who's drowning, when they get to that point of weakness, it's at that point that you can save them. And, and that's the same thing that's, that's true in our life. We have to get to that point of weakness. And I know it seems like a paradox, like if I'm going to float on the water, I have to relax. I have to be calm. I have to breathe. And you're just, all you're thinking when you're trying to like float. I remember learning to float, which I was not very good at, um, was just like, I don't want to drown, you know, and that doesn't get you to this point of rest. And so uh, in God's power and in his strength, with our weakness, much can be made of us. And Paul is seeing this life in Christ come alive. And he says it this way in chapter 12. I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. It says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weakness, content with insults. And boy, are they heaving these insults at him. Content with hardships. How can we possibly be content with hardships? I don't know, but Paul is saying, I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. Here's why. For when I am weak, then I'm actually strong. See, the reason why this, these false teachers have come into this young church, that's, that's, man, they're excited. There's an excitement and a fervor about them. These false teachers are coming in because they don't like the conviction that Paul brings with his life that he lives. They don't like the power that's in his preaching because it makes them feel guilty. And so they're like, if we discredit him, then we don't have to listen to him. If we take away his, the foundation of who he is and say, he's not worthy of being listened to. He's lied to us. He said he was going to come to visit and he didn't. If we can't trust his planning, then we don't have to listen to his preaching. And Paul is going, okay, at this point, I want God to be my defender, but at this point, I need to defend the gospel because this isn't just a personal attack on me. It's attack that's taking place against the gospel of Jesus. And so as last week, we talked about this comfort that we can find from the God of mercies. I actually want to read the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I think we have it on screen. There we go. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. See, your trial, your experience, what can it be? It can be someone else's promise of hope. Multiple phone calls this week, conversations within the office. We heard in community groups as we we get reports back how groups went, people saying, man, people really pressed into this by sharing their story, reading the God Can uh, cards, that when you share your failure, your trial, your difficult situation, the journey you had in it, whether not that you were perfect, but God's power in your weakness, wow, that is someone else's promise of hope. And that's what community brings to us. And Paul is saying, I've been through these things. I want these things to be for the glory of God. But these false teachers, they're coming in and they're trying to say, hey, you know why Paul's going through all these sufferings and these trials? Because he's sinning. They're saying Paul has sinned. And we read last week, Paul has been, he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been left for dead, he's worried for his very life, he's been shipwrecked. Like, if Paul's going on a cruise and you're, have it, you're booked with him, get off. 
Don't go on a ship with that guy. It's probably going down. I, every boat he gets on goes down. I'd rather swim, and I'm not a good swimmer. Like, I'd rather just be in the water. I'd rather take a canoe. I'd rather take one of those, like, all those little pedal things that Ann Morrison. I'll take that over getting on a, a ship with Paul. And they're saying because of his sin, that's why he's suffering. There's actually been a few teachers over the years, people that speak nationally and worldwide that have come out and and said, we taught a wrong doctrine 25 and 30 years ago. They've come out and said this publicly to say, I claimed that when you were going through a challenging thing that you needed to sin less. When you went through that, that was on you because you weren't believing strong enough in God. If someone tells you that reason you're going through suffering is because of your sin, there are times I've suffered because of my sin. But not every time I've suffered has been because of my sin. Because God wants to bring comfort to you rather than a comfortable life. He wants to bring you comfort in this life. And he wants to use your trial to be someone else's promise of hope or to bring strength to you. These are hard things because these are paradoxes. But it's easier for this group of false teachers to, to manipulate it. And guess what they're doing? They're saying, oh, you're calling me a false teacher? You're a false teacher. Oh, Paul, you're manipulating. I'm not manipulating, you're manipulating. And so there's all this, you said, she said, he said. And Paul says, let's go back to what God says and let's bring some truth to this. Because these slithery suckers have found their way into the church and they're saying things that aren't accurate. And Paul's going, I'm not gonna defend myself, but I'm gonna defend the gospel. So let me share a few things with you. And Paul's being completely misunderstood. I don't know about you, but I do not like being misunderstood. Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to ask those people who feel like they've been misunderstood or they don't like being misunderstood to raise your hand because then you'll, be mis- you'll feel like people have seen you raise your hand and what are they misunderstanding about you at this point. But I did a personality text, test uh, a year ago, our staff did, and I tested out at 100% extrovert. I I thought it was 98%. I guess 100 is what I am. And the problem with that is like, I find so much energy in being around people that I can find myself looking for the approval of people. So I have to really guard that and like put that towards God because, you know, some pastors, they speak a message and they go to a hammock and take a nap or something in between services. I'm out there like, Hey, what's up? Boom, chest bumping, having conversations and going, Oh man, I'm going to miss the service. That I don't run in there because I get energy from being around people, but I need to be careful that I don't allow it to switch a focus off of the one I should worship rather than the ones that I get to worship with. And so it's something I have to be careful in. And maybe that's a, a word for somebody in here. I actually wrote a quote to myself. It's this, when your aim is to be understood by all your worship has drifted from the one. When your aim is to be understood by everyone, our worship has drifted from the one. We're looking for the approval of other people. And Paul is saying, you know what? People are not approving of me, but I'm going to press forth into all that God has for me. And Paul is being pressed upon, and he's in a time of crisis. And those times of crisis is what makes us who we are. But it's also in those times of crisis that is exposed who we really are. And Paul makes a few claims throughout these passages. And, and as you take notes and you write some things down, we have to ask ourselves the same question that Paul's stating, form it in a question. So he says, my mind is pure. We need to ask the question, is my mind pure? So verse number 12, his mind is pure. He says it this way, for our boast is this, the testimony of our good conscience, that we behaved in 
the world we sim- with simplicity and with godly sincerity. He's saying, I have a good and right and pure and clear conscience before God. We can spend an entire message or series in just this verse alone when it talks about having a good and clear conscience, meaning who I am privately is who I am publicly. Like those two things match up. See, we compartmentalize our lives and and maybe you're a student in here and you act one way around your family and a different way around your friends. Or maybe you have these, you got some church friends or you've got this group of friends and we kind of compartmentalize this different behavior. And integrity says, it's who I am when no one is looking. And Paul's saying, I'm sincere, which sincere is this non-hypocritical faith. The problem with performing is this. You know, performing where you put a mask on, you act a certain way around someone, is we begin asking the wrong questions. We begin performing and saying, I'm, how should, I'm going to try to act like a Christian. How should a Christian act? And so we try to do what we think we should do, rather than having a heart that is following Jesus and behaviors that follow that base belief. So being a follower of Jesus is different than someone who's trying to perform in the way that a Christian should act and should live. It's like performing as a student for a teacher so they will be in approval of you. Performing for, as a player for a coach. Performing as a child for a parent, as an employee for your boss. Rather than going, man, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and out of this heart that I have for him, my actions are in a certain direction. See, this non-hypocritical faith that can come into a life, can come into a church. I've heard people say, the reason I don't go to church is because there's hypocrites there. I've said this a lot. When I, if I ever hear that stated, I'll say, hey, you know what? Our church is full of hypocrites. There's room for one more. Would you like to attend Rock Harbor with me? <laughs> you know, not because we would pride ourselves in saying one thing and doing another, but the reality is we've all fallen short. We don't have to be arrogant about our real stink. You know, real stinking is, really does happen. We pride ourselves in the sin. And I don't know about you, maybe you've heard somebody share their testimony of who they used to be. And they spent like 30 minutes bragging about how, how dirty, how dirty and how bad their life used to be and how they used to sin it up, you know. But now, praise God. And that's kind of the end. You get about 15 seconds of, God saved me from all that. Well, you just bragged for 30 minutes, you know. That's awesome. You were a dirty man. Um, but how about like talking about, and God saved me, and his blood was poured out on a cross for me, and really giving glory to God from the past rather than bragging about how awesome and how crazy and how ridiculous you were. See, it's not about bragging about the stink. It's rather saying, you know what? I have fallen short, but I want to be honest, and I want to be in relationship. You know that word sanctuary that we hear referred to as a place of worship, an auditorium, a worship center at a church? That word sanctuary actually means safe place. And what is it about that? That we can walk into a sanctuary, but we feel like we have to put on a show, we have to put on a mask and act like we're not, like really going through a difficult time. See, at Rock Harbor, we want to be a safe place. Founded on the rock, a harbor, a safe place to come into, where we can actually talk about the things that are going on or have gone on or that we're challenged with in life. The fears that we have, the failures that we have, 
the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and being that safe place we can be founded on so that we can then go out and our trial and our experience can be that testimony that would draw people in because of God's grace for those who are lost at sea to come in and be rescued. That's what a harbor really should be. You know, there's this word, sin sere, and it's based out of Latin. And I was doing some research on it and come to find out, I guess there's some debate around whether or not this is actually a Latin term, that it could be a made-up term. So it kind of jacks up my whole illustration. But I don't really care. I'll share it anyways. Um, but it's sin sere, which means without wax. And what would happen in early times when pottery was bought on street corners and at little stores, now you kind of go buy a pitcher at some kind of a department store or whatever it would be. Um, and some people pay lots of money for them, and some people get them on sale. Um, but you would go to these corner stores, and you would buy it. And what they would do, if there was one that had an imperfection or it had a crack in it, they would take wax and match up the color, covering up this problem, this crack, this hole, whatever it would possibly be, except for when heat, when it sat in the sun, or when heat was brought to it. Or when light, it was brought up to light. You know, what is Jesus? He's the light. What is Jesus? He's the refiner's fire that we go through trials. That what if our life's the same thing and we're covering up and the life, the water of life, this refreshment that we're to hunger and thirst for what could be is just falling out of our life because we are so ashamed and we're living a life with wax. In the earlier service, I said something like wax in your cracks. I'm not saying that again, but I kind of want to in a way, but I'm not going to. And, and it, uh, what if your character has some cracks in it, some imperfections, some things that when the light's exposed to it or heat's brought, it's shown. But do you have a safe place? Do you have people that when they get close to your life, they can say, hey, here's some shortcomings. I referenced Psalm 139 earlier because... If you walked away just looking into this scripture and you walked away meditating on this each and every day this week, this would change us. Individually, this would change us as a church. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you don't mind underlining in your Bibles or just writing down this word grievous, Is there anything in you that grieves the Holy Spirit, that grieves God? You know, God loves us. Our actions, our behaviors, when it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, Hebrews 4.13 says we're naked and exposed before God. He knows us. Is there anything in your life that grieves God? I didn't say, what did they do to you that caused you to act like that? What credit are you not getting and that's why you're struggling? I didn't say about anything that's been done to you, but rather your behavior, your action. Is there anything in you that grieves the heart of God? And are you willing to say, search me, O God? Maybe you can't think of anything. Take some time this week, say, search my heart, O God. Show me, expose to me, this shortcoming. For God, I want my mind to be pure. Paul's saying my mind is pure. See, often we're worried about our reputation. And Paul's saying it's more about your character. 
See, Paul isn't writing this letter because he's worried about what people are going to think of him. You know, reputation, it's something we learn about somebody in an hour. Character is something we learn about somebody over a lifetime. You want to know someone's reputation, you ask somebody, hey, what do you think about them? Hey, what kind of employee are they? You read a resume, right? You can learn a few things in an hour. Character is exposed over a lifetime. Reputation is what men and women and humans think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Reputation is what other people may think of you. Character is what God says of you, what God knows of you. And these are two different things. And that's why Paul is addressing this because this is not just his reputation. This is not about Paul. It's actually about the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're discrediting the message of God by discrediting the messenger of God. Verse 12, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand. The only purpose I'm writing you is so you'll understand. So for you to understand, my mission needs to be pure. He's saying my mind is pure and also my mission, that my reason why I'm writing you these letters, my reason why I went and planted the church there in Corinth, the reason why I'm doing all these things is because my mission is pure. Basically what he's saying, the bottom line is this, what God says, I do. God told me, God directed me, God called me, I'm responding to that. And they're saying, but Paul, you said you'd come visit. You said you would be here. If we can't trust your planning, we can't trust your preaching. They're trying to discredit this messenger. But it puts us in a place where we have to make a choice just like Paul makes a choice. And Paul's saying, you know what? God's ways are way better than man's plans. God's ways are way better than man's plans. In the last chapter, last part of the letter, he didn't, Paul didn't know he was writing a chapter. In the last part of the letter, Paul says in, in chapter 16, for us, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For this is to the same church, I intend. An intention is different than an action. He's saying, I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps, that's another questionable statement. It's not a firm, it's perhaps, it's hopefully, I will stay with you. Or even, like there might be a change, or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. He's sharing his heart. He's saying, I don't just want to stop by. I want to come at a time that I can stay a while. I intend to, perhaps I might, or even, and here's the big one. I hope to have some time with you. And these four words, if the Lord permits. If, meaning it's really based on the Lord permitting. He's making this commitment based on God has the trump card and God can change these plans that I'm trying to put together. And he's saying, I'm going to choose divine design, which is God's plan over man's plan. I'm going to choose divine design over man's plan, divine direction over man's plan. And we have the same question that is posed in our mind often. For many of you, you're planners, and that's great. People like me need people like you. People like you need people like me. Plans are good. But are your plans so uninterruptible, I don't even think that's a word, that God can't find his way in? 
because you see it a certain way and your research proves it and your plan, it just makes a lot of sense. But God in his infinite wisdom and his eternal and infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful and majestic foreknowledge and sight doesn't make a lot of sense right now. So I'm going to choose the fact. I'm going to choose the research. Are you interruptible? And Paul is saying, I got interrupted. As much as he wanted to plan and control and intend and perhaps, and if God permits, it didn't happen. It's actually written in James that we can't control today and tomorrow for we don't know what they hold for Our life is but a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. And then the verse following says, when we make a commitment, we should say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will live to do this or to do that. If the Lord wills. I think that that's how we should live our life. If the Lord wills. We can put some plans together, but if the Lord wills. What that doesn't mean is when someone says, hey, Do you want to go to the Rockies with me tonight? I'll come pick you up. You know, if the Lord wills. This isn't like your Jesus juke that keeps the ball in your court, that if you get a better offer or something else to do, or your hair's whooped up or your beard's on sideways, and you're like, you know what, I don't want to go in public right now. I guess the Lord didn't will. Okay? It's not that. If the Lord will mean with intent, with God's permission, if he would, With this intention, I'm going to plan accordingly by prayer and preparation. But if God changes that, I'm willing to allow that change to take place. If the Lord would will. And Paul's saying, I live with sincerity. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That as a follower of him, don't make commitments that you don't have any intention of fulfilling or ones that you plan on possibly breaking. Paul said it this way in verse 17, I was vacillating. I was going back and forth when I should do this or do that. Do I make a plan according to the flesh? Because I really want to spend not just a day, but the entire winter with them. I'm going to spend more time than what I might actually have allotted because that would make me feel good because I enjoy this church in Corinth. For as surely as God is faithful or our word to you has not been a yes and no for the son of God, Jesus Christ, to whom proclaiming among you is Sylvanius, who ultimately designed a really nice television. And Timothy and I was not a yes or a no, but in him it was always a yes. It wasn't a yes and a no, it was a yes. And here's the problem in our culture. This couldn't be more pertinent of a scripture. Yes means maybe in our culture and probably means doubtfully. I'll probably be there. It means probably if something else doesn't come up, probably let our yes be yes and our no be no. This verse 20 is an entire sermon series. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God. For God makes multiple promises throughout scripture. They find their yes in Christ Jesus, for he's faithful. That's why through him that we utter our amen to to God for his glory. Our amen, meaning when God gives a promise, we say, yes, it is. 
So be it, amen means. Amen means yes. Amen means it is so. We can count on it. Your marriage vows, guess what they are? They're a promise. It's before a holy God. It's not even a covenant for ourselves. It's a commitment to one another, but it's a covenant before God. Let our yes be yes. Let our no be no. The statements we make to our kids. Let's be strong in our promises, not, hey, things kind of changed. Let's be careful to what we commit to. The promises of God, Isaiah 41, fear not, I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help, help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, be, do not be in dread of them for, for it is your Lord God who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. He's our guarantee. He's our promise. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 1, it's God who establishes us with you in Christ for he has anointed us. You're anointed, you're chosen, you are set apart. Your words need to be something different than those who don't have a relationship with God. For you are speaking for the king. You've been anointed. You've been set apart for a purpose. You've been chosen. But you know what else comes with anointing? In fact, anointing started with sheep, not with kings. Anointing a shepherd would take oil and place it on the head of the sheep. And it wasn't like, you are set apart, little baba. You are, you are glorious. You're going to be something. Someday you're going to produce so much wool for the glory of God. It was not that. It was like bugs are going to get on you. And if I put oil upon your head, those bugs will fall off. They will not be attracted to where you could receive sickness and illness from bugs and other types of things. I will protect you. Anointing was for protection. See, often we think of anointing and we think set apart. God gave me a calling. God, I'm waiting on my anointing from God. It needs to be something that looks like this. I'm looking for this special set apart calling. When in reality, at the core of anointing, it's God's gracious protection. That you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for now and for eternity. When you surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? It's not just that you're chosen to be a royal priesthood, but his protection is around you. So when you go through those sufferings, you have got to know that he is with you. He will not forsake you. He's always with you. He will uphold you by his righteous right hand. So when you're anointed, it's just not for this public calling. No, it's a private protection where he does battle for you. And there's nothing that matters more than that over a stage or a special calling that would make us feel chosen and set apart. No, God is saying, I have chose you and I will protect you for now and for eternity. You are sealed. You are guaranteed. It says that we are sealed. There's a seal that's put upon us. And given to us, it's his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's a promise that we've been given. Here's the problem. There's a gap of about 18 inches between what information you have here and the transformation that could happen here. 18 inches. There are people that believe in God that do not have a relationship with God. There is someone 
There are people that make statements like, I believe in God, but no relationship with God. Man, God is so good, but no relationship with God. God has a plan for me, but no relationship with God. How is it possible to say one thing but not have a relationship with him? There's a difference between information and transformation because a transformed heart is a different heart. It's a new heart. A transformed heart makes a statement but believes in a heart and has a transformation take place and is sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And a transformed heart makes this statement and lives these statements of, I surrender my heart to Jesus Christ, for I'm a sinner, and I do not deserve eternity with God or grace from God. But because of his blood that was poured out for me, I can have life in him. And I receive a gift that I do not deserve. And I will live a life that physically, emotionally, I cannot make it through the suffering that this life has to offer if I follow him. But by his grace and his sufficiency, I can live a life that can impact the eternity of other people. And it's all going to be for his glory. It's not so I will be puffed up. But I am broken before him, for he's my savior. He's not just someone that's going to make me feel better because I believe that he has good plans for people. And I just want to give thanks to him because that's what everybody does. And he's the man upstairs and he sees everything. No, he's righteous and holy. And he was bought with a price. So my mind may be pure, but my mission and my motives are pure in him. He's the only thing that makes me pure. I cannot perform my way to purity. So I will simply receive the purity that he's given as his son poured himself out for me. And I believe today there are going to be people in this room, people watching online, people at the hub, that they're going to make a change, not in their mind, but in their heart today to make Jesus their Lord and their Savior. And that's when the motive begins to change. And guess what Paul does following all this? His letter continues on, and it's all about people. The rest of chapter 1, the first four verses of chapter 2, He's just like, it's about, it's about people. It's about Jesus and people. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be faithful. I didn't come to you because you guys got to get your stuff right. And together, I don't want you to just get your st- stuff together because Paul showed up in the room. It's like kids straightening up their act because mom and dad walk in. No, you want kids that really do the right thing in the first place. And he's saying, you get things together and I want to come and visit you because your heart's in the right place. See, if Paul's going to make these statements... My question for you is, can you make the same ones? Can you claim that your mind is pure? Can you claim that your mission is pure? And you may say, 
Yeah, my mission is pure. To love and lead one another, be devoted followers of Jesus. To love your neighbor as yourself. No other gods before God. Love him with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Does your yes mean yes? Does your no mean yes? No. What are you saying yes to in your life? And what are you saying no to in your life? And does that honor and glorify God? For that is the mission that you are living. Is it pure? And is your motive pure? Is it God first and then others? Is it Jesus and then is it people? Today, when you came in, you were given a God can card. And our focus today, as we want each person to complete it, last week we got a lot of these turned in and we've been praying as elders and as staff. We have an incredible display that's going on in the hub right now that we're enjoying as a team. But uh, we'll have a chance to actually, as a church, um, reflect in prayer in about a week. Um, But if you would consider, we're going to give you just a couple of minutes while they uh, play a song uh, to complete this and just write, hey, I believe that God can, so I will prayerfully ask. And maybe today it's something that's a request. I'm praying for my marriage. I'm praying for this relationship. I'm praying for this and this sickness or this healing or this whatever. And we've got some incredibly heavy requests that were turned in last week. But maybe your request is, I need healing from an addiction. Maybe it's something about your personal holiness. My motive has been off. I've been seeking the approval of other people rather than the approval of God. I said I would do something, but I haven't done it. Whatever the Lord would lay upon your heart, you can obviously turn this in. It's it's confidential, and it's going to be placed on display so people are going to read it. But it's something, you don't have to write your name on it, but we can really pray because we believe that God can. Scott's going to come out here at Rocky in just a minute and give you guys a minute or so to complete that. And then later we'll have the chance to turn these in the God can, card, God can cards in the, in the lobby. And at the hub, Brandon will be out in just a minute and uh, we'll close the service there as well. But take a second to write a few things down because we believe that God can.